Here on Dexter Avenue, in the shadow of the state capitol, it would not be uncommon to see limousines and other fancy vehicles riding into town carrying VIPs surrounded by security escorts, motorcades, sirens, fighter jet flyovers, in some places in the world, even tanks and troops. These are the sounds the rulers of this world make when they enter in. In Matthew chapter 21, the sound we hear is a little bit different. Jesus has been preparing for some time to enter into the ancient capital city of Jerusalem, and now the time has come. But Jesus doesn't send for a war horse or a battle chariot. Instead, he sends two disciples to borrow the colt of a donkey for him. Matthew tells us that this was to fulfill the scripture found in Zechariah 9.9. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fold of a donkey. The crowd that has followed Jesus from Galilee sees this moment like King David riding into his throne. So they start laying down their cloaks to roll out the red carpet for him, so to speak, and cutting palm branches as signs of triumphant victory. Echoing the words of Psalm 118, they shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The locals from Jerusalem don't know what's going on. So they ask the incoming crowd, who is this? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, answered the northerners who have seen most of his miracles. Soon, even the children are getting into the action, running around praising Jesus and the religious leaders are getting nervous. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. He's quoting from Psalm 8, which says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Jesus has finally come to the city of the king, but not with the booming cadence of boots on the ground. Somehow, Jesus is bringing a kingdom that comes with the sound of laughing children and babbling babies. Good to see you. That was weak. Good morning. Much better, much better. I want to say thank you. Uh, I know that we have um, put a big ask in front of you uh, to move over from Wesley Hall into uh, the Sanctuary Worship Center. But thank you so much for doing that. And didn't the band do an amazing job in leading us? Yeah. Also want to welcome you if you're a guest with us, especially if this is your first time with us, please. Uh, we hope that you feel welcome. Also want to say hello to all of you who are watching online and on television. For those of you who are in the room, would you please give our online and television audience a big hand. One of the things that we do here each and every Sunday is we pray for another local church, and we're going to do that again today. This morning, we're going to pray for Old Ship AME Zion Church, a historic church in our city, and their pastor, Kathy McFadden. So let's lift them up as we pray for ourselves to receive God's Word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this moment right here, right now. As Jared said, this is a historic moment for us. 
Lord, Lord, this moment marks a moment of unity, of coming together as one church. It may seem like a small thing, but it is a resounding echo through the heavenlies, and I pray that we would see it that way. Lord, this morning we do. We lift up Old Ship AME Zion to you. Lord, we pray you would be with their members. Bless them. Watch over them. Protect them. Help them to continue to build the kingdom. Would you watch over their pastor? Would you put your hedge of protection around her and her family? And Lord, pray your blessings on them. And Lord, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak. Would you speak? Because your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You know, we as human beings, we entrust ourselves to other people all the time. All the time. Uh, to, to prove this to you, uh, have you ever ridden down the road in a car? Anybody? Yes. Okay. Have you ever gone down the road in a car and you are not the driver? Anybody? That's a lot of trust. Have you ever gone down the road in a car and a teenager is the driver? Anybody here? That's either a whole lot of trust or stupid. But anyway, it's one or the other. One or the other. We trust ourselves or entrust ourselves to people all the time. We entrust our money to people, our possessions to people, our children to people. So many things to people all the time. The question, if we are followers of Christ, is each and every day when we wake up, when we take that first breath that we are aware of, the question is, do we really trust Jesus? Are we going to walk into this day trusting Him with everything that happens and takes place? Now, our trust in Jesus is based off of our view of Jesus or our perception of Jesus or the picture of Jesus that we have in our mind. That picture that we have of Jesus in our mind, it determines three things. It determines how we feel about Him, it determines how we think about Him, and it determines how we interact with Him. Does that make sense? The picture that we have with, uh, of Jesus, just like any other person in our life, the picture that we have of him determines how we feel, think, and interact with him. If I could put it another way, our perception of Jesus determines our reception of him. How we see him determines how we feel, think, and interact with him. Now, <clears throat> Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this. The writer of Hebrews starts this great letter and says, Long ago, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Notice that. God spoke long ago, many times, many different ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Verse 2. But now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Notice that. God has spoke many different times, many different ways through the prophets, but now something has changed, something has shifted in the universe, and God has now spoken to us through his son. You see, the prophets gave us different pictures. Think of it as camera angles, different vantage points on who God was for them. And the prophets were speaking uh, about God in a particular time, in a particular location, about a particular situation, and they were revealing a part of who God was or who God was for them in that moment. But now something has shifted. Now the Son has come, and He has revealed not an incomplete picture, but a complete picture of who God is. That's why Luke 2.32 says, Jesus is the light to reveal God to the nations. Jesus is the one who has come to make God known to the whole world, he says. 
Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. John 14.9, Jesus makes this claim. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you've seen a full picture of who the Father is. Now, where we are in our text is in Matthew is Matthew chapter 21. And as we go and we start today, we're beginning the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, a journey that we're going to take all this week with services every day this week. I want you to come out and be a part of as many of them as you can, or you can watch online or on television if you can't be here in person. But we're going to take this journey through Jesus' last week on the planet. And what we see here is that Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and he's coming as the new king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But what we're going to see is that Jesus is doing king and kingdom differently. That's been a phrase we've been using throughout this series, that Jesus does king and kingdom in a very different way. And as Jesus is going into Jerusalem on this day, the question becomes, what kind of king is he? What kind of king is Jesus? You see, when I say the word king or I say the word Jesus, there's a picture that we have in our mind of what a king is and who Jesus is. You put those together, King Jesus, what kind of king is Jesus and what is that picture that we should have in our mind of him? I want to give you five things. Point number one is this. Jesus is a king that always keeps his word. Jesus is a king that always keeps his word. Jesus has the power, he has the power to keep every promise that he makes or that has been made about him. He has the power to keep every prediction or prophecy that has ever been made about him or the ones that he makes. But he always keeps his word. And if you think about it, in the world we live in today, keeping your word is actually a rare thing. Is, is that not true? It seems like it's so easy for people not to keep their word, not to keep their commitments. But this is not true with Jesus. He always keeps his word. Again, he has the power to keep every promise and every prophecy ever made about him or that he has made. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. Notice that. Whose word I praise. In God I trust I shall not be afraid. Notice what that, uh, those two verses are telling us. He starts off, when I am afraid, I'm afraid. I put my trust in you. How does he do that? He praises God's word because God always, always, always keeps his word. Whose word I praise, I trust in you, I shall not be afraid. Fear, I'm going to trust God by praising his word. Trust God, no fear. Do you see that pattern there? Does that make sense? Made sense to nobody. That's great. Here's the thing. <laughs> this is called coffee, and you need some. All right. Good deal. Every one of us live with stress, anxiety, and fear. Every one of us do. Every single day to some level. We live with stress, anxiety, and fear. And, and, and in those moments when we're feeling stressed out, when we're feeling anxiety, when we're feeling fear, those are moments when we try to get control of things in life, isn't it? We try to get control of things. What Scripture tells us over and over again is instead of trying to get control, get with Christ. Get with Christ. What is He saying to you? What is He speaking to you? Because He will always, always, always keep His Word. You see, one of the false pictures that we have of God in our mind is this idea that God said 
in the past, but God does not say today. God said a lot back there. He said a lot through the prophets. He said a lot in Jesus' day. He said a lot to the writers of Scripture, but God does not say anything today, and that is not true. The same king, King Jesus, who has been speaking to people throughout history still speaks today. And when we go into his throne room, he still speaks to us. Sometimes he speaks to us through his word. Sometimes it's through another person that he sends into our life. But God still speaks to us. We have to live in a posture of ready to hear what it is he has to say to us because he still speaks. And whenever God speaks, he always keeps his word. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Good. So leading up to Matthew chapter 21, we see that Jesus has kept his word each and every time, all that has led to this moment. Now, point number two is this, is that Jesus is a king that does the new and unexpected. Jesus is a king that does the new and unexpected things in your life. You know, throughout history, there have been significant speeches that have been given at particular locations for specific reasons, right? You think of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. You think of Ronald Reagan's speech in Berlin, beside the, in front of the Berlin Wall. There have been particular speeches throughout history at particular locations for specific reasons because that location speaks to us in some way. That's exactly what we see here in Matthew chapter 21. If you start in verse 1, it says this. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse 3, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Notice that he is at Bethphage. Now, the interesting thing about Bethphage is it's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament outside of this event where Jesus is about to begin his procession into Jerusalem. The interesting thing about Bethphage is what it literally means, it is the house or place of new figs. It's where they would store unripe, new, brand new figs. Now, I think Jesus starts his procession into Jerusalem from this point because he is telling those around him that I am about to do a new thing. I'm about to do something brand new. Brand new. And Jesus is about to go about being king and establishing his kingdom in a totally new and different and many, in many ways an unexpected way. You know, sometimes... We resist the new thing that God is doing in our life. And many times we miss the blessings that God wants to bring into our life simply because we resist the new thing. But some of you right now, you're praying for God to do a new thing in your life. You're praying for it. You're seeking after it. I'm, I'm here to tell you, keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep asking God to do something new and unexpected in your life. He loves doing new things in your life. He loves doing the unexpected. He loves blowing your mind in amazing ways with how he can orchestrate things and work things out in your life. You see, one of the false pictures that we have of God many times is this idea that God did, but God does not do. God did things back then. He did things in the Old Testament. He demonstrated himself in powerful ways in Jesus' day, but God does not do those things today. That is not true. King Jesus is still on the move. 
He's still doing amazing things. He's still doing the new and unexpected things even in your life. Again, our picture of him determines what we think, feel, and how we interact with him. Do we go to him praying, expectant that God can do amazing things? I'm here to tell you the king is still doing new and unexpected things. So point number one is that he is a king that always keeps his word. Point number two is he's a king that does the new and unexpected. And in fact, one of the unexpected things that Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 21 is, as I've already said, he is doing king and kingdom differently. One of the phrases we've used throughout this series is that Jesus is turning everything upside down so that it can be right side up. And what he's trying to tell his disciples and anyone who would listen and follow him, those who have ears to hear, is that the kingdom is here now and the new thing is happening. That leads me to point number three, and that is that Jesus, he's a king that is humble and seeks peace. He is humble and he seeks peace. Now, this is strange. Do any of you watch the, um, does anybody in the balcony watch the History Channel? Anybody up there? Am I the only, oh, the guy operating the thing right there does. That's good. Yeah, I've got another one. Anybody on the floor, y'all watch the History Channel? Am I? Okay, good, good, good. I, I love watching the History Channel, and I love learning about the history of Scotland, uh, England, Norway, that whole area, and, and hearing about the kings and kingdoms that you know took power and had power here and there. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, throughout history, kings have not been the most humble people. I mean, do you know this? They have not been the most humble people. And many of them have not really, uh, shall we say, been a big proponent of peace. And if, you, if they were humble and seeking peace on the earth, most of them got drugged into a war or a battle somewhere along the way. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. After Jesus sends the disciples to go get this donkey and this cold, it says in verse 4, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you. Notice that, your king comes to you. What kind of king, though? Gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, notice there's this colt there, this new animal. God is doing a new thing right here. Throughout history, though, whenever someone would approach uh, a kingdom or approach the wall, if you will, the gate, and they came riding on a horse, it sent a signal to those behind the wall of, I've come ready to fight. I'm ready for the battle. But if they came, if someone sent a messenger and they were riding on a donkey and they came up to the wall or the gate, that donkey represented, I come in peace. I just come with a message. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. Not only that, kings, whenever they would go into battle, many times they would try to stay as far back as possible to stay out of harm's way. As Jesus makes his procession, he's right in the middle of everything that's going on. You see, one of the pictures that we have in our mind many times of God is that in the past, God did some very nice things. In the past, God was humble. In the past, God had these moments of humility. But today, well, God is angry. I meet people all the time, some of them Christians, who think that God is so angry with them. Matter of fact, if you talk to some Christians, you would think that God is the most angry person in the universe. Can I tell you that's not true? And can I also tell you that God is not mad at you? God gets angry with the evil that motivates sin, yes. God gets angry with the results of sin because it hurts people, yes. But God is not angry with sinners, because that's you and me. 
That's you and me. Unless you're sinless and you took your halo off before you walked in here. And if so, I'd like to meet you right after the service. But God is not angry with you. God is not angry with you. Again, we think many times, we look back in the past, oh, God did some very nice things. God was so kind in Jesus, but now that is not the case. Sometimes we hold on to this idea that God is angry at us because it's our excuse for not receiving the love he has for us. Can I tell you that God loves you more today than you could ever dream or imagine? He absolutely loves you in this moment, right here, right now, more than you could ever fathom. He's that kind of king. And he comes humbly, and he comes to seek peace in your life, peace that can only be brought by the love that he has for you. Which leads me to point number four. And that is that Jesus is a king that comes to save, not to conquer not in the way we think of conquering kingdoms. Jesus comes to save, not to conquer. In verse 6, it says the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey in the cold and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9, the crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Right here, this word Hosanna is so important. This, this shout of Hosanna, God save us. Salvation come. Salvation is here. It means all of those things and many more things. That God is the God of salvation and he has come now finally to bring the salvation that we need. They are shouting this. Right here in this moment. You know, whenever you have earthly people who are trying to conquer something on earth, there's kind of just three simple uh, patterns that you see or waves that you see. Uh, first of all, they try to recruit people. And they try to recruit people because they have a cause. And if they can get enough people behind their cause, that means they can get enough people to win some kind of earthly prize. So they try to get as many people as possible behind their call so that they can win some kind of earthly prize. Can I tell you that Jesus does not do kingdom that way? Jesus is not trying to recruit you. He's not. He's not trying to get you on his team. He's trying to rescue you because he loves you. There's a big difference between recruiting and rescuing. And Jesus is not just trying to get you behind his cause. No, his cause is to give you life and abundant life here and now. And Jesus is not just trying to, for, for you to have some kind of earthly prize. He wants to give you an eternal prize that will last forever and that no one else can take away from you. You see, King Jesus is always Hosanna for you in every moment of every day. One of the false pictures that we have of Jesus in our mind, especially for those of us who are Christians, is that, well, God is good, Jesus is good, he's Hosanna, meaning he can save me from hell, but he cannot save me today. I know what you're saved for, if in fact you are a Christian. If you say you're a Christian, I know what you're saved for. You're saved for eternity with God. The question is, what do you need to be saved from today? What is that? The same king that was going into Jerusalem on this day, where they're shouting, Hosanna, salvation is here, salvation come to us, he is still Hosanna for you. And we as Christians, so many times, again, we think God can save our eternal soul, but he cannot save me from what I'm going through right now. Yes, he can. 
Yes, he can, and he does. He does. The King of kings and the Lord of lords loves to step into your life and save you no matter what you're going through. The question is, what do you need to be saved from? What is it that you need to be saved from? What is the thing that you're wrestling with in life that's coming out of your sinful nature? He can save you from that. God can fix that. The last point is this, though. Is that Jesus is a king that is not always understood. He's a king that's not always understood. In fact, many times... And in many ways and in many places, he's seriously misunderstood. This story right here kind of comes to a close in verses 10 and 11. And it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? Now, that's one of the most important questions you'll ever ask in life. Who is this Jesus? Now, verse 11 says, the crowds answered... Not the disciples. The crowds answered. The crowds answered and said, This is Jesus. Notice, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, is that true? Yes. Jesus is a prophet in the sense he is prophet, priest, and king. Absolutely. But notice their definition to who Jesus is in this moment is limited to he is a prophet. Now, that's amazing. That's amazing. But even Islam says Jesus is a prophet. Their definition of him is he's a prophet. Remember what Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says? Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. They gave incomplete pictures of who God was. Verse 2, but now in these days, These final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Through his son. You see, the false picture that we have many times of Jesus is that Jesus, oh, he's a good model to follow. He's an example. He's a great teacher. He's a prophet. But he's not son and savior. He's not son and savior for me today. Today. I really believe for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, we, the people of God, have to have a right now present tense faith that all of who King Jesus is on this day in Matthew 21, so many years ago, the king going into Jerusalem, who's ultimately going to win the battle over sin and death, that same King Jesus is King Jesus for us right here today. Right here. The question is, again, what do you need to be saved from? What do you need this king to step into your life and do? One thing I know about King Jesus is that he loves coming off the throne quickly to step into your life and bring the healing and wholeness that you need. He loves doing that. The question is, what is that for you? He can save you again. And again, and again, and again. And as many times as you need saving, the king is there to do it. He's right there. 
My question to you is this today, as the band comes on up, is what, what is the next step you need to take? Everybody hang with me for just a moment. You know there's a card in front of you in that pew. Do you see that card? You can go ahead and pick it up and look at it if you want to. You can put your gum on it or whatever you want to do. But just, just take that card for a second. There may be around you up there. This card on it, one side, the, the red side says connect card. This is a way for you to give us relevant information if you want us to get in touch with you. But that next step side, that blue side, there's a list there. My question to you is, what is the next step you need to take in your relationship with King Jesus? What is that? Maybe you need to give your life to him for the very first time and say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life, king of my heart. Or maybe you want to publicly declare that through baptism. Or maybe you want to be a part of a community, be a part of a church. Or maybe God's calling you to serve in some way. Or maybe you want to be a part of a group. Or there's even an other line there. Maybe God's stirring you in some way that's not on this card. The question is, what is the next step that you need to take in your relationship with King Jesus? What is that? I want to pray to that end. So would you stand with me, please? And let's pray. Father, we come in this moment, and I thank you That just as you were king going into Jerusalem so many years ago, you are that same king today. For those of us in the room who have never said yes to you, Lord, I pray that we would right here, right now. We just simply say, I want you to be king of my heart, king of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. I pray that we would pray some kind of simple prayer just like that. Or Lord, whatever our next step is right now, some of us in the room, we've been Christians for a very long time. But Lord, there's something we need to be saved from. I pray that we would see that you are Hosanna for us right here, right now. And you can do it again. Lord, wherever we are in this moment, I pray that you would speak. That you would give us ears to hear. And you would give us boldness and grace to respond. Would you speak, Lord? We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name.